the Avengers! Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. The bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach? That's that's what I'm branding (laughs) myself as now, Adam. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) What I realized all on my own is that you know how the last couple of weeks, our listeners wouldn't know because we've kept our schedule. But yeah. I have been traveling the known universe. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a lot. Uh, it's been a busy, busy bit of time. Uh, forgot that I called out different X-Men podcasts right at the top of the episode, two episodes in a row. <laughs> because there was about a month and a half. Not a month and a half. There was like three weeks between there were several recording weeks, those. Yes. Uh, so I'm just leaning into this bad boy persona that I built for myself. <laughs> I'm thinking, Adam, that this week... Do you know what? Do you know what the bad boy of X Men podcasting is thinking? I don't know. Are you going to trash talk some other podcasts? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Who are we going after this week's bad boy, Zach? Golly, oh wow! I'm just, I'm just gonna. <laughs> no, actually, here's here's a fun, here's a fun Anna joke. We were we were talking on uh, our Slack to di- or the this week about Venom, where Darkoth. A random one-off character from, I believe, Scott Lobdell's Excalibur run, right? Excalibur pops up, and I was like, "Who's excited for Darkoth content? Is this really what we want?" And then Anna was like, "Did I miss Darkoth conversation?" <laughs> if it's uh, if it's Excalibur, oh gosh, golly, wow, is uh, is going to be on top of it? I'm sure. Well, you know, Adam, we don't need to we don't need to focus on other podcasts because we got our own to focus on right here. And in fact, we're going to throw out all the rules. No rules, just right this week. Yeah. Um, I feel like I need a name, too. If you're a bad boy, can I be like Shock Jock Adam? I mean, maybe you edit it. You can you can <laughs> add like car horns or whatever. <laughs> Shock Jock Adam in the morning. Uh, Get it. <laughs> well, we are throwing out all the rules this week because um, as I've been teasing all week on social media, um, this is the X-Men podcast that ain't so X-Men this week. Um, Hold on. <laughs> One, I like to point out that we make the rules so that we can break the rules. <laughs> and two, that our request from friend of the show and our friend Bobby Two Guys uh, was, what? Um, what is the earliest Chris Claremont stories we haven't covered? Yeah. Interesting challenge. You would think that we'd be like, well, there's that Count Nefaria thing, and there's that demon Charon that's on the, uh, you know, the event or the X Mansion. We haven't covered those. No, siree. In fact, we are both stretching the limits of the words X Man and Chris Claremont's participation in this episode <laughs> to find the earliest comics involving X Men that Chris Claremont is associated with that is correct and that means that we are plunging into titles we don't normally do so thank you bob uh for this exciting opportunity to talk about the incredible hulk yeah if you want to be like bobby two guys 
you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, dig deep. You know you have to deep dig deep into your hearts and your pocketbooks. And you gotta toss a couple of coins into our coffers, you know? Uh and that'll get you that'll get you an episode about whatever you want, including things like the first appearance of Super Astronaut <laughs> Sea Captain. Doctor, super Doctor Astronaut Peter Corbeau. Yes. Peter Corbeau, that's right. Yeah, guys. So this is Chris Claremont's first credited comic. Mm-hmm. Forget whatever Chris Claremont says about I sent the Sentinels to the sun because I was a gopher. He didn't get credited for that one, so it doesn't count. That's right. But uh, Zach, we should also point Neil out- Adams. Neil Adams, I believe, does not recall, remember, or believe that story, which <laughs> I think is very funny. Rest in peace, Neil. I can't. His thing in terms of what they generally believed. Chris Claremont's not a flat earther. No, I'm sorry. Neither is Neil Adams. I should take that back. Neil Adams was a hollow earther. Rest in peace. Oh, right. Yeah, I always forget that. That's really weird. No one remembers that Neil Adams was a hollow earther. And I find it delightful because it's hollow earth is one of the very few conspiracy theories. And don't correct me if I'm wrong, people. It's one of the very few conspiracy theories that seems to hurt nobody and not be related (laughs) to (laughs) anti-Semitism. It's dumb. I'm sure somebody has as terrible people, but you know, in Neil, Neil for the, you know, glory of Neil Adams lifetime, I am really glad that he got to see um, Godzilla versus Kong. And uh, you know, do you think he like really did a victory lap around his living room when they went into the hollow earth? <laughs> but I am sure that he was ecstatic about all the hollow earth content in Godzilla versus Kong, a good movie. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, All right. We're getting away from the incredible Hulk number 148. And uh, we should, we should specify this credited to Chris Claremont because I'm looking at the credits and I see written by Archie Goodwin. Archie Goodwin did write it. Drawn by Herb Trim. uh, And uh, inks by John Severin and and letters by Artie Simek. Uh, What is this little tiny uh, footnote here? Oh, it's a uh, plot assist by Chris Claremont. A welcome plotting assist from Chris Claremont. <laughs> so the thing about Chris Claremont is he was a intern essentially at Marvel. He was what they called a gopher. And to hear him tell it and just I mean, his general background talk, they would go for things that people needed. It was a pun name. Fantastic. Yep. No notes. So much better than intern. So he would help out around the office and do some things. Eventually got a, like a, a real job there. Uh, but honestly, not not unlike what Stan Lee, how Stan Lee started the company, except for I think it was a friend of the family that got Chris in, not his uncle. Oh, OK. OK. I forget exactly. It's a tradition to, you know, intern and then people are like, oh, nepotism in Marvel. Yeah. In this tiny publisher. (laughs) Yes, there was there was some nepotism in what was at the time a family run business. Shocking. Shocking everyone. Anyway, but no, Archie Goodwin's writing this story and it counts as an X-Men story. We decided because it's beautiful that Chris Claremont's first comic is also the first appearance of Peter Corbeau. That's right. And Peter Corbeau is introduced right on the first page. Uh, you would assume based on the narration that Peter Corbeau has been around for a long time. It, it's referenced that he created uh star core one, you know, and he has figured out a way to de Hulk the Hulk. The thing about Peter Corbeau is 
Page one, panel one. He's already figured out how to close the green door. <laughs> That's right. We didn't even know him yet. And Peter Corbeau already knew about the green door. He knew about the one below all. <laughs> Page one and dude has already won the Nobel Prize in his narration box. Like this guy is the real deal. It's just immediate. Peter Corbeau comes fully formed. Yeah. And I love that about him. He's great. He's got a nice, uh, you know, well, sometimes it's brown. He's got kind of like a checkered brown blazer, but he's rocking it over top of pinstripe blue pants. Like we're talking a man of fashion here. This is 1972. We've got to be so, so specific. This is 1972. Yeah. And you know what happens? Well, the first plan, part of the plan uh, to de-Hulkify the Hulk is, um, well, you got to sedate the Hulk. So we first got to send out our Hulkbuster uh, jets that are going faster than the speed of sound, but are still capable of targeting the Hulk and basically launching like a bajillion tranquilizer darts into his back, I guess. Yeah, they uh, they knock out the Hulk. And then it's so easy. Dr. Corbeau grabs him, drags him into a room, flips a switch. No more Hulk. <laughs> it's pretty impressive that Peter Corbeau has figured out how to use the sun, which is going to come back again in this episode. Keep the sun in mind. Listeners. How much of Chris Claremont's <laughs> plot assists over time? We're just, what if the sun does it? <laughs> Hold on, guys. I got a great plot here. What are the Chris? We did the you understand why I can't be the sun this time, Chris. We did the sun the last three times. You you understand. You understand, Chris, right? It can't be the sun. We're not doing the sun this time. Well, this is Chris's first time, uh, you know, making suggestions. So the sun uh, is able the the power of solar is able to reverse the gamma rays and return uh, good old Bruce Banner to uh, to our company. Well, good good for Peter Corbeau. The thing is, Uh-oh. if gamma rays are a type of radiation, yes. and what is the source of radiation in our universe? The sun. Uh, the sun, yeah. And if that's causing some sort of mutation, then the way to reverse this mutation would be to turn off the sun. <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling you, that's the exact logic that he keeps <laughs> saying at every con about that stupid Neil Adams Sentinel story. <laughs> and it's so upsetting that I can... I don't know that that's exactly what he did in this case, but like I'm I'm just looking at the work as it's presented to me and drawing conclusions. That's literary analysis. Well, folks, I got some bad news because it's about the uh, sun. Peter Corbeau's plan is uh, it, yes, it works, but it also means that the sun may solar flare and supernova and blow up and blow up the earth. So Peter so, Corbeau yeah. maybe didn't think this totally all the way through. Peter Corbeau does almost blow up the sun. <laughs> he, sh- he shouldn't have done that. But now how do you, how do you fix the sun? How do you fix the sun? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Zach. How do you fix the sun? I don't know. Cause I got really distracted by the part where there's this not quantum realm not microverse people hold on it is the microverse at least originally now later this is retconned but this is my first introduction to jorella 
Yeah, I don't know nothing about Hulk's love of his life, Jarella, who is a character from Princess of Mars. Jarella does seem like she walked right out of a John Carter book. Um, she has been in one comic before this, in a lot of comics after. Yeah, she comes back quite a bit. So Hulk got trapped in the microverse and um, went on this fantasy escapade for like one issue. And now those characters have basically popped over into uh, the the major the major universe, the six one six. I guess it's still the six one six if it's the microverse. It's just a tiny inside. I don't, but you can't. <laughs> I don't know how the microverse is supposed to work. I didn't read those comics. They seem pretty bad. <laughs> so um, Jarella comes back, and uh, not only does she come back, but she is followed by Fialan. Um, the, the assassin Supreme who doesn't seem so Supreme at assassinating and, um, you know, they, uh, they save the day, I guess, you know, Bruce has to become the Hulk again so that he can save everybody. And he, I think he just kind of sm- Hulk smashes, right? Hulk smashes. So that my understanding of the Hulk, my understanding of the Hulk is that he does smash. That's, that's his MO. That's what he tries to do is in his day to day life. He sees a problem. He thinks smash. So when he thinks that Jarell is dead, he smashes. That that seems that seems correct. Um, so essentially, at the end of this story, Hulk, Hulk smash. Hulk has to smash. Um, but I believe the answer here is that when Hulk is turned back into Hulk, it solves the supernova problem. But only yeah. only if Jarell. Oh, here's why. Because okay. We're skipping kind of a, a major piece here. The reason that the sun is going crazy is not just because Peter Corbo cured the Hulk. It's the microverse also is also crazy to sun. Exactly. Because Jarella and Fialan made it through from the microverse, that is causing it. So the Hulk is pissed because the love of his life has come back and now she has to be sent back. And I love the Hulk's line here. He says, Hulk sees you want to take only good thing in his life. Don't care about the sun. The world only Jarella. And I'm like, bro, I get you. I feel you. I understand Hulk here (laughs) as he's yelling, says, I don't care about the sun. I don't care about the sun. If you're writing Hulk dialogue, I feel like that's perfectly good and fair Hulk dialogue is to be like, Hulk doesn't care about the sun. He says, touch her and see how fast the Hulk will smash. (laughs) Listen. This is great. There's, there is some, there is some good in this. My problem is, I think it kind of sucks and is boring. Otherwise, I had a lot of fun reading this. It was great spending some time with uh, Peter Corbo and you know, it's a change. Corbo, no notes. Yeah. He's, he's there, man. He's there. And he's like, Jarella, you got to hit the road. I'm not like, I'm a Nobel prize winner. I am not just like losing my Nobel prize and incinerating the earth. I think it's uh, fair to say that if I think, I think, and I'm just saying this as a man, a man who does believe in love. I may be a bad boy, but I'm a lover, not a fighter. (laughs) And I think if the options are your girlfriend has to go home, she Mm -hmm. doesn't have to die. She has to go home to her house. Yes. Inside of a, or the sun's going to blow up. Mm hmm. I'm sending her home. Well, because if if the sun blows up, then her home blows up too. Exactly. So, this is a this, this is a, a win win cut and dry situation. Hulk, I know you don't care about the sun. <laughs> it's a win win. Uh, 
So now, Zach, we've we've uh, we've really kind of gone off the beaten path here with this one. Have we? Because we've we've brought in Peter Corbeau content. That counts. It, it is a Peter Corbeau. So I think we both agreed that this still counts as X Men continuity because we need Peter Corbeau to come from somewhere, and this is where he comes from. This is the true first appearance of Peter Corbeau. And yeah. what else can you say about it? I I enjoyed this this wacky seventies uh, misadventure starring microverse uh, you know barbarian people. It's it's a lot of fun. So um, why don't we try and rank this on our big old list? That's the thing about this podcast. We uh, we have a big old list. Sure. Do. Some people like to keep things loosey goosey and not set their opinions in stone for six years and have to deal with the ramifications of changing tastes and also bad opinions from the before times. (laughs) Not us. We live with them. That's right. Because we are on the road to 800. We're ranking 750 stories so far. Goodness. The best X-Men story, the House of X powers of 10. 100 being X-Factor the longest night. 200 being that time, the the Prego brood stuff. That's really our 200, man. Someday we'll have to do a re-rankening. That's in Wolverine and the X-Men. <laughs> uh, number 300 is Spider-Man Perceptions. Number 400 is Uncanny X-Men Quarantine. Number 500 is New Mutants 15 through 17 Hellions. Number 600 is The Extremists from Uncanny X-Men 47 to 491. Number 700 is uh, Marvel Comics Presents The Pharaoh's Legacy. That's the Havoc story. And number 750 is The Draco. Hey, Adam, we have talked about Hulk on this list before. Yeah, we have, um, but not one from this era. I mean, it was Incredible Hulk 161. It wasn't Oh, I guess that's really off. not that far. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that was because the Beast was there, specifically, if I remember. Yeah, it was tied up in the Beast's, the beast's Adventures. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mimic was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you was know, that was some would uh, argue that was a year after this, actually. <laughs> uh I'm gonna say I think we're probably do you think we're in the five hundreds or the six hundreds here? Like, is uh, this better than six twelve Beauty and the Beast? No. No, no, I don't think so. It's not better than Iceman Volume One at six twenty-three. Yep. Okay. All right. So we know we are uh, going lower than like the 625. Uh, Smoke screen is better. Here. Smoke screen is better at 645. Uh, but I don't know if this is as bad as 651 X-Men Noir. Yeah, no, I'm looking right around there because I think like 645's Knights of Terra. That's better. Smoke screen's better. Mm-hmm. I think Wolverine Origins and Endings is better. Yeah. From volume three. Yep. I don't think Wolverine the Vigil from Marvel Comics Presents is better than this, though. I, I would put this as our new 650 between that and the face off issue of X-Men Unlimited. Yeah, that works. I think this is probably just shy of being as good as the face off issue of X-Men Unlimited, which what a wild ride that was. Yeah. Luckily, Adam, you and I are going to be we're going to quit goofing around. And we're going to we're going to move into one of Chris Claremont's real, real additions to the X-Men canon from early in his years. I am, of course, talking about Avengers 102 to 104. What to do till the Sentinels come. Listeners were like, oh, they did a Hulk story. That was cute. Surely, though, we'll get back to X-Men now. Oh, hey, hey, let's cover an Avengers arc. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. This is a Sentinel story. This does tie in to other comics we have talked about that are equally as bizarre. 
folks, this is 100% as X-Men as an Avengers story can get because without including a single X-Men character, <laughs> unless you count Scarlet, Witch, who is, I guess I don't, I'm, I don't, she's I, an Avengers I truly character. don't. Quicksilver think, is here. He's an X-Men Quicksilver, character. Quicksilver has served on an X team before. Yes. Yes. I would like to point out Spider-Man's taught at the school before. That doesn't necessarily make him. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that every Spider-Man story is on you know, open for this episode. Zach, I want to tell you a true story. And that is that leading up to this episode, I polled people on both Twitter and Instagram about who their favorite X-Men character was. <laughs> and their choices you know? were the Hulk, the thing Thor, and Hawkeye and no one really came to me. I think there was maybe one person to say those aren't X-Men characters. <laughs> Everyone just voted and explained why they thought those were their favorite X-Men characters. And I was like, this is weird. This is very Of strange. all of those characters. I want to be clear. The best X-Men of all those characters is Thor. Yes. Because he was uh, a, as Thor, a friend of the Thor show, the ally and uh, editor in chief of women write about comics. Nola Fow did point out was a, an ally during mutant massacre. So honorary mutant Thor, um, both an ally. And let's be honest, was written and drawn for a long time by Wheezy's husband. That's so right. That's right. You want to know why it's that, <laughs> but back to this story, um, folks may remember that a certain group of sentinels went up into the sun Anybody remember that one? I I believe you would have to not have been listening to this episode already where we've talked about it at length. <laughs> so the Sentinels were sent up to the sun um, due to some, some trickery from Cyclops. And, um, well, Zach, surprise, they're not dead. Uh, no, they just, they went near the sun and hung out. Yeah. And and maybe who's to say they weren't building an orcus base there, even in these <laughs> early days. So, again, um, we do have a, an interesting Chris Claremont credit here um, in 102. The issue is credited to Roy Thomas and Rich Buck Buckler, Joe Sinat and Sam Rosen. But at the bottom, it does say from an idea suggested by Chris Claremont. <laughs> very funny that chris claremont was like okay great i got this hulk thing in the bag they loved my son idea what other ideas do i got my first son idea i bring that one back we do that son idea again and we do a sequel to that son idea Roy thomas who is on his massive run on the avengers he has 70 issues of the avengers this is his last arc and Good for Roy Thomas. Like I know there are fans of Roy, the boy out there. Um, this, this feels like kind of a classic adventure story. Uh, adventures. It, I keep saying adventures, Avengers story. It is. It's the kind of classic Avengers story that I'm not sure you can like reasonably do anymore. Cause I feel like the expectation is that Avengers stories are big. Mm, yeah. Largely. Like, I mean, it's a combination of everything from the Ultimates to what Bendis was doing with the new Avengers and them being so central to the line, to the fact that the Avengers film franchise is the uh, largest media franchise in the world. Uh, yeah. But like Avengers stories feel like they have to be big now. This is just a regular superhero story that the Avengers are the superheroes in. Yeah. I mean, too, we often talk about X-Men being kind of soapy, um, 
you know, month to month relationship drama, but the Avengers has quite a bit of that as well. So, you know, we are starting this arc with uh vision encountering grim reaper. Don't um, care about any of this part. No, I know, but, but vision pining for uh, Wanda Hawkeye uh, non-consensually kissing Wanda and then Wanda kind of wandering off into the park. They're to... in like, they're, they're in a, they're in a flirty stage. It's, I mean, I don't think it's non-consensual as much as it is like a surprise kiss from a friend. She's not who, interested. It doesn't look like. Uh, and she's Hawkeye, not interested. The, she's she's having a Betty and Veronica thing, only <laughs> between a robot and Clint Barton. Yeah, she's definitely in it for the robot, not uh, <laughs> not for Barton. <laughs> so, uh, of course, you know, as Scarlet Witch is hanging out in uh, the park in Central Park, um, one of the Sentinels decides, hey. I need an engine, a mutant engine for my uh, destroy the world plot. And hey, let me take this one. Let me grab Scarlet Witch. And you know where they take her, Adam? What what is this location again? Oh, it's the anthill? Yes, the anthill. The anthill, which readers may remember from the 1990s era Marvel superheroes quarterlies that Roy Thomas did a... Australian Outback X-Men story in that is a sequel to this story. Absolutely amazing. We are following up almost immediately. I mean, not immediately, but there are many callbacks to the uh, previous Sentinel story. So when Quicksilver does discover where the, the Sentinels uh, have, have been located, who is waiting for them, but the um, frozen and now quickly unfrozen brotherhood of evil mutants. Well, I guess yep. this is a flashback, right? To when they were unfrozen. Yeah. Toad gets a, a nice moment of clarity here. Yeah, because they go back they go back to the first base first. Right, right. Um and this leads Quicksilver to find exactly who he wants, um, who he thinks might be responsible for this, and that is good old Larry Trask. Larry Trask is such a weird character. He really is. He's a he's a, a soothsayer. He is a uh Future teller, mutant. I think it would be very funny if Larry Trask replaced Destiny on the Quiet Council. I was thinking <laughs> that the other day when I was reading that. Like, I love Destiny. If they want, if they want someone to see the a clairvoyance, someone to see the future, I think it would be very, very funny to have a guy whose dad invented Sentinels. Uh, it, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but all of Larry Trask's predictions do seem to be completely wrong. I mean, he. He seems to see the future, but doesn't have any context for what he's seeing. So every time Larry, he predicts Larry something, Trask, it's wrong. Larry Trask gets Twilight Zone futures. He's like, <laughs> oh no, this terrible thing, I must stop it. And then he tries to stop it and then dies. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Avengers do manage to track down uh, the Sentinels to the anthill. And uh, it's great because the visual is these Sentinels literally crawling out of a giant anthill and everybody fighting while Quicksilver attempts to save uh, Scarlet Witch. Everyone is Captain America, Hawkeye, uh, Vision, Iron Man, and Thor. Yeah, really nice classic team. Oh, they do tell Rick Jones uh, that he's not allowed to tag along. Good. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Rick Jones is like, what? I'm cool. I can tag along. Uh, No, Rick, you need to stay behind. Rick, you have to go. I don't know, do whatever it is, eventually go through a green door and turn into this weird amalgamation man. 
I guess. Yeah. There is also um, a really great cutaway diagram of the anthill um, in the third issue. That Love even, that. Even That's gets, great. Yeah. Roy Thomas even gives uh, Rich Buckler a little high five in the editorial notes. He's like, we, he's like righteous Rich Buckler. That's what I call a diagram fella. Why don't we have more cutaways anymore? We should. We should give us the every time. The last one I can. There was one in Bendis X Men. That's the last X Men cutaway I remember. Yeah, I guess the um the bedroom layout of of the Summers house kind of counts, right? Is that a diagram? That's a cutaway, right? That is that is a floor plan. Yeah, it is not a cutaway the way we want it to be. No, it would be really cool to get uh, a nice like sideways cutaway. You know what this reminds me of? And I wonder the treehouse. They should do the treehouse. Oh, the treehouse where the X Men live now. Yeah. I wonder if Liefeld swiped this because now that I'm looking at this page layout, it does look a lot like that page in X Force where they show the X Force's base. Listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna cheat, yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying that the pages look awfully similar. So they do beat the Sentinels, but in a fun way. They also trick the Sentinels, just like they originally tricked the Sentinels. Yeah, because uh, number two. Uh, the unfortunately named leader of these Sentinels. Um, something not so great has happened to him while he's been orbiting the sun. Well, you know, Adam, as you know, the sun is the source of all mutation, right? That's correct, yeah. Radiation from the sun. That's right. Well, wouldn't it be bad if one of the Sentinels did radiate and mutate? <laughs> he, he melted a little bit. He melted um, a little bit. And that suddenly they, they, made him a mutant, I guess. Larry's Larry Trask's mutant detecting device said that number two was a mutant sentinel. <laughs> that is correct. And uh, because of this, the other sentinels will, you know, turn on number two um, and they destroy him. Basically, that's how it what goes. Is, what is funny about this? Because Quicksilver was going off on his own mm-hmm. to try and save his sister. The other Avengers do not realize that Quicksilver was also there. <laughs> no. He gets no teleported into his own adventure later. Yeah. It's great. Uh, though, um, Larry Trask does get separated from Quicksilver and, you know, is there to identify number two as a mutant. And then die. I mean, yeah, Larry and, Trask. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm just saying, Larry Trask could come back and he could be like, guys, look, I have this don't be found by Cerebro technology. You can just <laughs> use that now. Sentinels won't be able to find you. Yeah. Oh, man. You, you feel like, actually, you know, you feel like Sebastian Shaw being on the Quiet Council could probably use whatever code he used to make the Sentinels not attack him. To, uh, <laughs> to just cover everybody's bases. Yeah, that, that would be a smart move. It'd be an altruistic move, and I know that that's not Sebastian Shaw's MO. No, he's not interested in being particularly helpful to anyone. Um so I got to say for being an Avengers arc and I am not usually an Avengers guy. I enjoyed this quite a bit. I don't know if it was thought, just because it was Sentinels or, you know, whatever it might be, but this was kind of enjoyable. It was fun. Little, this was a fun little one. Yeah, it was we had a fun one this time. Another one from 1972. I don't think it's as good as 374 on our list. Savage Avengers one through three, the city of sickles, no. which has, which has Conan the barbarian, yeah. uh, Drinking PBR and using Wolverine as a as a club. 
Yeah, but I do think it's better than the the Incredible Hulk issue we just talked about with Peter Corbeau. I, I don't. How think do you feel about movie. it compared to the 1980s X Men versus the Avengers? A incomplete huh. story. Uh, what is that at? That's at 417, which wow. is shockingly high for it. You actually. know what though? I, I here's I'll give Avengers versus X Men credit. It really doesn't fall apart until that last issue. The first three issues of Avengers versus X Men are actually kind of pretty good. You know, yeah, it it falls apart it, in that last. You know, issue and we so know hard. why it had the the creative switch. So, right. um, though I'm looking at this list, and I I don't know, I don't think this is as good as some of the stuff that's here. Like, it's not as good as that ROM issue. No, it's not as good as the saga of Crystal Crystal War Crystal Crystal Warrior number six Crystal. with the, uh, with Nightcrawler um going down i think we might are we in 500s territory here or? i think we're in 500s territory yeah well hold on neil adams the first x-men is at 485 that's way better than this is it oh come I on i like the first x-men they're silly yes and i i didn't is the <laughs> okay but is this really better than the um then the adam no, x, it's x the it's extreme not better than adam x the extreme is back and things have never been done no it's, it's not uh, I think it might be better than Storm Volume Two, though. That's the love story one. Yeah, this is a that's a great place to put it. So that would slot it in between Storm Volume Two and the first appearance of Gambit. So this will yeah. be our new four ninety three. This will be our new four ninety three. The Return of the Sun Sentinels. Love it, love it, and the and the death because once uh, once number two goes down, well, everybody, all the rest of their Sentinels just kind of pass out, and that's the end of the well, adventure. The base comes back. I think the Sentinels do too. Do I remember what happens in that summer special? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not worrying about it is, uh, is my approach. All right. So we have talked about the Hulk. We have talked about the Avengers. So surely our last and third story will be, um, you know, an X-Men title. Of course. It absolutely will. Why wouldn't it be an X-Men <laughs> title? We're talking about giant size, fantastic four. Number one. Or number four, number four, volume one, number four. And uh, this is 100% an X-Men story because it is the first appearance of a, a very important X-Men character. We're talking about Jimmy Madrox, the multiple man. That is correct. Uh, who, you know, gee whiz, you know, I don't know if you've, uh, you, you probably don't know this cause you're not part of the, uh, the Northeast tri-state area, but, um, there have been actually some, some, um, recent tragedies involving, um, subway surfing. And, um, I feel like Madrox is not listening to the public service announcements about staying off of the top of, of elevated subway trains. But the movies make it look so fun. I know, I know, but really Madrox, I know you're a troubled young man. But uh, you gotta 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 stay down from there. It's just not safe. This is in 1974, uh, written by Len Wein, pencils by John Buscema. Adjusted notes on the inks. Uh, Glennis is on our colors here. Chris Claremont uh, is plotting this or dialoguing it. Really. Yes. So we do still have Chris uh, is our he boy. has gone up from giving suggestions for ideas for stories <laughs> to like, hey Chris, could you could you do this one for us pretty much <laughs> right. like here's, here's our idea. Here's what's going on. I'm Len Wein. I'm more or less like, I'm really big and important. Can you, can you do this one for us? So congrats to, for, you know, moving up the, the ladder there, Chris, um, our issue starts with, uh, the thing and Alicia just 
trying to go out to a football game. That's great. Yeah. I have nothing about that, nothing negative to say about that. I think the thing should go do casual stuff all the time. Yes. Um, the thing should, however, be careful as he does. Is it because he's a giant rock man? Giant rock man and um, does, while they're waiting for the train, because they miss a train, decide that he's just going to, what, rip a door off of a subway car as it goes by? <laughs> like. Um, he has some anger issues to work through. He sure does. I also would like to point out that, Ben, when you're on a date with this lovely woman, who also happens to be blind, you know, but let's put the blindness aside. You're with this love of your life, right? And yes. His, his there, now wife, Alicia Masters. There may be a disturbance on the top of this subway train. However, should you just abandon her Go fight this disturbance and then not check back in for the rest of the issue. It's not great form. I, if I was Alicia, I would be mad. I would be uh, mad. This is so typical superhero behavior. <laughs> it's it really one is. of the things I know that because of the ever changing nature of comics, things have become more decompressed, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But also the types of stories they're telling have changed, and there's a lot less about the civilian friends and family of the superheroes. And I do miss that now we don't get the, oh no, I missed a date with MJ because I had to do a Spider-Man thing. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. So that aside, the thing does confront Madrox the multiple man, and uh, Madrox is, you know... If you recall his early appearances all the way up really through almost Muir Island saga, he is wearing, well, he's not wearing it by the time we get to like fallen angels. Right. But he's got fallen this, angels. He changes a bit. Yeah. We, then we get like the trench coat look, but um, he's wearing this goofy getup. He's just Jack Kirby outfit. His dumb Kirby dot suit. Yeah. Here's the thing. You, you've seen the movie X-Men Colon the last stand, right? Sure have. I feel like Dr. McSteamy's uh <laughs> Jamie Madrox look is actually pretty good in that. It like, is, it is Juggernaut's terrible. Madrox, kind of great. What's that actor's name? Eric Eric Dane. Eric I think? Dane. Yeah, great idea. Great casting for, for Madrox. Um, you know. Does he do anything? No. No. Is he better casting than James Franco? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I would uh, it, say anybody for any role other than James Franco. Don't hold on. James Franco playing a weird, creepy version of Madrox. Uh, let's not pay I, James Franco money. Let's just let James Franco like go be somewhere. That's not, I mean, you know. yes, all, all agreed, <laughs> all agreed. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this Eric Dade, multiple man thing. Honestly, <laughs> He seems really charming. He looks great. He looks great. Now, for folks confused about the suit, um, the suit was, because I had kind of forgotten this, because you don't really hear about this in X-Men. The suit is a design that was specifically made to kind of stop Multiple Man from multiplying. Um, we get this great flashback to Multiple Man's birth <laughs> that I absolutely love. And for it folks... Is who have not read this issue you have to imagine in your brain the doctor literally slapping madrox who's just come out of the womb on the bum and immediately another madrox baby appears 
It's Some so of the best great. comic timing you could have. It's great. Love I that. Love it. I love it. Um, little more confusing is the um, panel, a couple uh, panels later on the same page that indicates that a freak tornado swept through and killed Madrox's parents um, who both just seem to be lying very peacefully in their beds. So I do not understand what's going on there. Seems to be a disconnect between art and script. Um, listen, someone, I'm not saying who, someone could have scripted that better to explain why his parents weren't around anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the tornado is not shown. No, we do it's not. It's not see- in the art. It's just dialogue that said, yeah, and then there's this freak tornado on our farm. <laughs> and a Wizard of Oz happened. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, the thing is like, yo guys, we got a problem. There's this dude and he keeps multiplying. So eventually, of course, uh, the fantastic four has to fight, uh, Madrox. Now this is not our normal fantastic four. Uh, where, where is Sue in 1974? She's already given birth. I have no idea, but I do know that in her stead, we have, uh, Medusa. A yes historically that is a thing i don't care about medusa i I just i can't i you know we're not big inhumans people however i did love that medusa looks nothing like she does in her her modern you know inhumans get up she's basically wearing like a purple bathing suit and some like purple uh pirate uh boots i mean she looks you can tell why mike alred would like absolutely link on to this look right or or this kind of envisioning yeah. this version of the character because she I mean, looks she's, she's she's wearing her she's wearing her jack kirby clothes yeah yeah it's great uh it's a great look so um they keep hitting madrax he keeps expanding things are not going well until they get an assist from above oh, yeah. uh professor charles xavier comes out of a plane this is quite the entrance zach it's a big entrance for him. <laughs> Do you think this is the X-Copter that we were talking about recently? Absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> the helicopter appears above this fight scene and Professor X, like in a glowing uh, halo of light, starts to beam down until he falls. His vortex beam has been canceled and starts to fall to the earth. Uh, the thing does catch him and um, Reed grabs his wheelchair. I feel like that would hurt. Hey, Adam, I have to one. It absolutely would. It's an insane scene. I do have to let you know because I have learned this now. Okay, where Sue Storm is. Yeah. Where this? is Sue Storm? Let's go. You and me who are not uh, Jerry Conway Avengers connoisseurs. <laughs> okay. Wouldn't know that in Fantastic Four 130, mm-hmm. the battleground, the Baxter building, and this is a Roy Thomas joint, Sue Storm leaves the group. She leaves the Fantastic Four over escalating marital problems. Oh, wow. She is gone more or less from there until like 141, where Reed Richards shuts down the mind of Franklin Richards for some reason. Damn. I'm sure for a good reason. Which Sue then pretty reasonably says, I would like a divorce now, please. Thank you. Wow. She eventually comes back. Uh, It takes a spell. It takes a spell. Sue Storm, you deserve better. It turns out you're not going to believe this. I'm sure there's some comics explanations going on here. Readers were not happy about their separation. Shocking. 
they thought that Sue was being unreasonable about this <laughs> Jesus and said they should kill off Sue Storm. Okay, okay, okay. Comics readers have never had any chill. Man, it's just amazing, isn't it? Wow. So it does turn out that, uh, thank, first of all, thank you for that deep dive. Charles Xavier skydiving now, yes, sorry. Yeah, so it does turn out that uh, Charles Xavier knew Madrox's father um, somehow, of course. Charles Xavier knows everyone's dad. Yes, knew his dad and um, I, I guess helped design the suit that- Charles Xavier, Madrox as Ecstatics has so helpfully pointed out, is so good at designing suits so that his students can control their mutant powers and then maybe, um, you know, live normal lives with physical touch and sensation. <laughs> uh, this it's is... weird that this suit that doesn't make his powers work, that makes his powers not work, is his superhero costume for his powers for the longest time, right? Yeah, I do appreciate that, like, as a design sensibility, they basically took the dots and turned it into a t-shirt, and that's just what he wears all the time, which I think is kind of neat. But it is weird that, like, you're right, it's supposed to be a restriction, it's not supposed to be enabling the powers but uh i believe that am i correct that professor x like has a staring contest with the, with the madroxes until they all pass out essentially i mean he uses his mind powers but yes yeah it, it just kind of looks like he's just you know there's a great sequence of four panels where they keep zooming in on professor x's face until his eyes are like giant and his eyebrows are in his forehead it's great um, Here's my problem with this issue. Yeah, Marvel Man is nothing. Oh He's no, nothing. He has no personality. He's just angry that his parents are dead, which understandable. He's, he is literally a nothing character until Fallen Angels, mm-hmm. and then he's a nothing character again until Peter David gets him. Yeah, I mean, he's not like the most. He's a lab assistant in the background for like what several decades. A, a spell yeah at least a decade right i mean there's got to be because this is 72 this is, is falling this is 74 oh this is 74 so, i'm sorry and Once, you know he's by the time your island gets introduced yeah he's he's something there you know what i mean and then fallen angels is what i want to say 87 it's 87 yeah yeah all right so you know He's got a, a bit of a spell where he's a he's a complete nobody, you know. And I, you know, of course, Professor Xavier takes him and says he's going to take care of him. And of course, what does he do? Just dumps him off with Moira. <laughs> it's like, hey, you need a lab assistant. <laughs> How about this guy that just fought Fantastic Four on their roof? I mean, listen, it's Chris. Chris put it in a toy for himself. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Of course, of course. So is this is this comic good, Adam? I enjoyed reading it. It is goofy. I, I love the subway bit at the beginning with, with the thing just trying to get to his football game. And you're right, though. Madrox is not really much of anybody. So this is not as good as the Avengers arc that we just talked about. That's for sure. It's not. It is better than the only other Fantastic Four story we've talked about on this podcast. That is, of course, Fantastic Four. 406 to 414 Hyperstorm. Yes, Hyperstorm. This, this is, is better than Hyperstorm. Better than yeah. So we're we're somewhere between those. It's better than the Incredible Hulk story we did. Like the, the thing stuff is fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's jaunty, you know? It is. It's got that, you know, that's a thing that I love about a like a good 
classic Spidey or, or Fantastic Four story is that usually has like a little bit of a New York feel to it. Uh, that that kind of city feel of going someplace. I feel like that's not really in the books anymore. So I I know where I would put it. Okay. At right below the first appearance of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in X-Men 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. And right above X-Men The Burning World by G. Willow Wilson. I think that's a really good place for it. This is not as good as the introduction of uh, The Brotherhood. So this well, is going to... Issue, issue four of that is great. Issue five of that is weird. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be our new 503. And uh, gee, that was kind of fun. I like that. I love talking about X-Men with you, my friend Adam. I do too. Um, especially... You know, when it's just like a weird concept like this, uh, this was kind of fun to discover these stories and go back and see, because, you know, these are tied into X continuity and some of uh, them very heavily. Yeah. You know, what is X-Men without Peter Corbeau, you know, or the Sentinels or the Sentinels? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Or Madrox, the multiple man, the X-Men without Madrox is anyway next week uh, we're going to be talking about some astonishing Iceman issues i'm i'm excited there's actually listen there's there's actually an arc i remember being a freaking banger yeah in this you know what that Uh, sounds like what does it sound like sounds sounds pretty cool we got bits for next week we're gonna do ice puns like we're arnold schwarzenegger in the bad movie with batman don't try and tell me it's good i've watched it I'm sorry. No one can tell me that Batman and Robin is a good movie. I lived it as a child and I lived the disappointment as a child and I watched it again as an adult and said, nope, my tastes were right at first. No amount of critical reevaluation will change my mind. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Wow. He. Um, yeah. When when Arnold It'll Schwarzenegger appears this. in a neon blue costume and says, allow me to break the ice. <laughs> It's just, it's exactly, exactly what I think of when I think of Victor Freeze. Imagine I, if you were like me and you grew up with the animated series, right? And just that. If you like, were like me, an actual child, like a, what the movie came out in 98. Yeah. I was seven years old. Yeah. You think I was not ready for Mr. Freeze? Yes, but were you expecting it to be Arnold Schwarzenegger? I mean, yes, it was a very heavily marketed movie. No, I mean, but was that was that your no. vision of Dr. At seven, Freeze, I would not Mr. have cast Freeze. Arnold Schwarzenegger as the <laughs> villain in this Batman movie that includes Poison Ivy and Bane. Yeah, Bane yes, is. Yes, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger's from Europe. He's not from uh, South America. I agree. Bane is in this movie and Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this movie, yet the two are not the same. Well, that seems like for 1999 standards, the weirdest choice you could have made. Yeah. So, uh, you know, aside from Iceman next week, we will be doing our full scene by scene review of Batman and Robin. We will not. (laughs) I'm not. No, I'm Adam. If my son is like, oh, dad, can we watch this? I'll say, no, that one's dumb. Watch a different <laughs> one. You won't enjoy it. You want to watch a Joel Schumacher one? Watch Batman, Batman Returns or Batman Forever. That one has Val Kilmer. Val- it does have Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say it has Nicole Kidman. It has that street race that's pretty cool. 
Come on. I like Batman Forever. That's fun. I, I don't it's, like Batman. It's not a Forever. good movie per se, but it's a fun movie. It has Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. Just, here's the difference. Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones are having fun uh-huh. in Batman Forever. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Uma Thurman are cashing a check. Yes. Actually, Uma Thurman's having fun. She's doing her part. Come on. They're, they're, I'm sure they're all having a little bit of fun, except for George Clooney. I'm sure he's not having any fun. George Clooney's like, oh, can I just get back to <laughs> ER, please? Can I just get back to ER? Oh, my. This God. is what I'm I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to be Batman. And this is what they give me. <laughs> I have to hang out with Chris O'Donnell for you know. Actually, hold on. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get up on my high horse for a second. Oh, here we go. If the Warner Brothers Corporation <laughs> had the chutzpah to do this stupid Flashpoint movie and bring back a Batman, uh-huh. they should have brought back George Clooney Batman. Wow. I would want to see that over Michael Keaton Batman. Trying to remind me. Oh yeah, isn't this movie so cool? No, I want. Remind me that superhero movies for the longest time were dumb and not taken seriously. And now they're dumb and taken seriously. I just think it's really funny. I know we're getting way off track and we have to end this. It's our podcast. I just think it's track is where the track is where we make it. And Adam, I'm the bad boy of (laughs) X-Men podcasting. The podcast is going to do what it wants. Continue. I just want to point out that Michael Keaton started playing Batman literally 35 years ago. No child right now in the history of the United States of America has any idea who that is. So when they see the the trailer for the Flash movie that they're supposed to get excited about, right? And they go, oh, there's Ben Affleck. That's my Batman. And then this guy comes out and goes, I'm Batman. No one knows who that is. They think Adam, he's the vulture from Spider-Man. Adam, do you want me to tell you something that's uh, going to be depressing? Please depress me. For a lot of those children, yes, Michael Keaton also wasn't even their dad's Batman. Uh, thank you. Let's get crazy. Just, just, just I'm. You want to get nuts? As, 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 as the father of a <laughs> seven-year-old, like you're writing a very precarious line here. Of you're mixing people who are like, yeah, I'm really into George Clooney, or more frankly, Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. But they they don't have the money for Christian. Bale. No, Christian Bale's good. He's doing Christian like, Bale's like, all right, chap. I don't want to do this now, Governor. He's taking Netflix checks for doing it. Is he? I don't know what Christian. I don't pay attention to what Christian Bale does on a day to day basis. He just did a uh, not so great Netflix movie, like everybody else does, because Netflix has lots of money. Guys, we got to wrap this episode up. Um, we do. Thank you, Bobby. Two guys. If you want to be like Bobby, go over to patreoncom up. Adam, what do you got going on? Oh, uh, follow me about Flashpoint, a bad movie that neither of us was paid to watch in theaters. Oh, I'm not watching that. Uh, I will not watch it on HBO that I steal from my mom. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll probably stream it on HBO Max with the same level of enjoyment that I watched uh, the Justice League movie, the Snyder Cut. Um, You watched the Snyder Cut, bud. I'm going to tell you something, Zach. Don't 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 get angry. I didn't hate it. It was not the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. There are worse DC movies. Okay. Yes. Like I have also sat through the original suicide squad, which could be the worst one star movie I've seen in a really long time. That wasn't movies. Really? Snyder cuts. Not like 
that incomprehensibly bad. Anyway, um, Jesus. We're not getting into Snyder Cut opinions. I'm sorry. I cannot believe I just said that on a recording that is going out to thousands of people. Um, follow me on Instagram <laughs> at Adam.Rec. Zach, what you got going on? Nothing. Great. I have nothing. I'm reading a book about trees soon. It's just I just got the notification for my inner office or inner library loan. I love it. Man. I got my tree book. It's great. About old trees. And I'm like, yes. Breathe in. This that is what pollen. I'm reading now. It's great. Drink that sap. Next week we're talking about Iceman. Uh we got distracted and talked about Batman movies for 10 minutes. So call that some bonus content for you. Yeah, <laughs> until next time. This has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!